1 John 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anybody who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he, he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The second reading is actually starting at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the second half of verse 31, and then all of chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, have, and I have faith to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I, all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, there will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to grow disciples by serving, to talk about the gifts that God gives and how to build his church. The Corinthians knew all about gifts, for they were very gifted. Yet Paul said to them he did not want them to be ignorant about spirituals. There are different gifts, he said, but just one sign of the Spirit. There are different gifts, but they're all from the one God. And so we are all different members of the one body. So how do we use our gifts? How do we live in this one body? Paul says there is something so important that without it, every one of us is nothing. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. What extraordinarily impressive people these would be. Imagine being able to speak in such eloquence and not only that, to speak in the tongues of angels. Imagine having the gift of, of prophecy and being able to fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and having a faith that can move mountains. The one person being able to do all those things. And imagine someone who gives all they possess to the poor and gives their body to the flames. 
the Corinthians were impressed with those sorts of people. Indeed, some of them were those sorts of people, and they were very impressed with themselves. Others longed to be impressive like that. And yet Paul says something shocking. If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Worse than that, I am nothing. I gain nothing. These days you're never allowed to say to anyone, especially a child, are you? You are nothing. You can say that wasn't very well done. You could have done that better. That could be improved. But never, you are nothing. You will never amount to anything. You never say that. And Paul says there can be a situation where you have extraordinary gifts and be nothing. How could that be? It's very simple. It's plain as your face there in front of you. If you have not love. This is not some romantic line from a a rich billionaire who's finally found the woman of his dreams. It doesn't matter how much riches I have. If I don't have anyone to share it with, it means nothing. No, that's not it. This is not find me somebody to love. This is if you have not love. Do you see? If you do not have love for others, whoever they might be. For the Corinthians, it was these gifts. For us, it might be, if I preach like Billy Graham, if I can sing like an angel, if I can bake for supper like a master chef, If I have not love, I am nothing. And even taking it more broadly in all of life, if I top the HSC, if I succeed in my career, if my business goes so well I retire early and travel the world, if I succeed in getting myself elected as President of the United States of America, but have not love... I am nothing. I quite like reading inscriptions on tombstones. I think they show a lot about the person, or more likely, the person who arranged the inscription. It's usually about uh, who will miss them. What a great family member they were. But I heard of one tombstone, someone was wandering along one day and reading the inscriptions, and the inscription said this, He was an accountant. It's good to have that sort of pride in your work, isn't it? But no matter what the profession, that's a pretty poor indictment of someone's life in my books. But imagine this on your tombstone. He was nothing. At the end of verse 3, you should have a burning question. I do not want to be nothing. If there is something that I am without, that even if I have such extraordinary, impressive gifts... 
I am nothing. Please tell me what it is. I must know what it is because I must make sure that I have it because I do not want to be nothing. Thank God Paul answers the question. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These are beautiful words, aren't they? And whenever I show the top three passages for weddings to a wedding couple who really have no idea what to have read at their service, I show the three passages. This is the last one we read, and she always says, I like that one. For they are beautiful. It's not so much a definition of love, what is love, as a description of what love does, don't you think? This is love personified. This is love actually. This is what would love do. Love is. Love is patient. It bears with other people. It puts up with other people. Not only is it patient and bearing and putting up with other people, it is kind to them, generous beyond what they deserve. Love is. Love is not. It does not envy or boast, proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered. And it always, in all things, trusts and hopes. This is not trust in people. For trusting in someone who is not trustworthy, that is not love. That's just plain foolishness, isn't it? It always trusts and hopes in God. And as a result, love always protects and always perseveres. These are beautiful words about love personified. But they were not written for a wedding. They were written for the Corinthians. And for the Corinthians, in the context of this letter from Paul to them, they were not a beautiful love poem, but an accusing indictment of them. Were they patient and kind with each other? No. Some of them didn't even wait for the others to arrive when they had a meal together. They were rude. They did envy and were proud towards one another. I don't need you, do you remember? And they did delight in evil. They delighted in their divisions against one another and in their sexual immorality within their own church. This is not a beautiful love poem for them, but an indictment of their church life. And for us, if we just pause for a moment, these verses should challenge us as well. They challenge our ideas about love, don't they? Whitney Houston sang, The greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. But love is not proud. 
Our society tells us that love is the same as tolerance. Love accepts all people and all things. And if you do not accept other people and what they do, you are not loving. But love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Our society tells us that the ultimate love is romantic love, where you fall in love with someone else, and of course it's possible to fall out of love with someone else, and it's over. But love here is clearly an action that you decide to do. It keeps no record of wrongs, and it always perseveres. These words challenge our ideas about love. But more than that, they challenge our own lives, don't they? These words are beautiful, but very difficult to do. Here is love personified. Here is what would love do, WWLD. So try substituting your name for the word love. Sean is patient. Sean is kind. Sean does not envy. Sean does not boast. Sean is not proud. I think I'll finish there. It's too uncomfortable. And I presume it is for you as well. These words challenge our ideas about love and they challenge us because they are so difficult. If we are nothing without love and love is so difficult, then we need to know what is love but also where does it come from? In my standard wedding sermon, I say to everyone gathered there, today is a great day. Beautiful dresses, lovely flowers, the guys have brushed their hair. It is a great day, a great day of love. And I remind them of the promises they've just made to each other. To forsake all others, to love and protect as long as you both shall live. You've promised to do whatever it takes to love the other person. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You've promised to do whatever it takes and whatever it costs. That's love. And it reminds us of another great day of love with no flowers, no dress and no one brushing their hair. We strung up the Son of God on a cross to die and that was God's great day of love, I say. For that was when God demonstrated love, demonstrated his love, for it was whilst we were still sinners that Christ died for us. What is love? It does whatever it takes, whatever it costs, for those who do not deserve it. God shows us what love is. And he is where love comes from. You see that in the very first sentence in verse 4, don't you? Love is patient. God is patient. He puts up with me. He puts up with you and does not give us what we deserve. More than that, God is kind. He gives us what we do not deserve, even his own son. That is love. 
that's where love comes from. Corey and Betsy Ten Boom knew that love and understood it. I visited their home in Amsterdam. Uh, They'd been caring for disabled children before the war came along, but the war, the Second World War came along, and now it was Jews who needed love, and so they hid them and helped them to escape from the Nazis. But one of the collaborators dobbed them in. They were arrested along with their elderly father, who a week later was dead in prison. They were imprisoned in concentration camps for the next two years. The other prisoners were cruel, cruel to each other, because people are in an environment like that. But they were not. They cared for each other. They served their fellow prisoners and they shared Jesus with them. And though they struggled with hate for the collaborators who had dobbed them in and for the guards, they were determined to love them. In fact, Betsy dreamed of, after the war, helping the collaborators and the guards to learn to love again. She dreamed of opening a rehabilitation centre for such people. Did she? No, she died in the concentration camp before her sister's eyes. But Corey did. She went, travelled around the world to 60 countries speaking about God's love and the forgiveness that is able to happen because of his love. She forgave collaborators and guards and she opened that rehabilitation centre. She knew the love of God and so she loved. She trusted and hoped in God and so was able to persevere. Corey and Betsy were never married, yet they knew about love, didn't they? Without love, I am nothing. Do you want to know what love is then, so you avoid being nothing? God is love. That is where love comes from. And I want to challenge you this week. If you want love to be part of your life more and more so that you are not nothing, then read with me these verses, verses 4 to 7, again and again, each day. And as you think about each area of your life and each relationship that you have, especially the difficult people in your life, ask, what would love do? And ask God, by his Spirit, to mature you as a disciple of Jesus and to give you that love. For without love, you are nothing. To underline that fact, to underline how important it is to have love, Paul springs off this idea that love always perseveres to remind us that love remains 
Verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Then he returns to gifts. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. These extraordinary gifts that seem like heaven breaking into earthly reality, heaven come down amongst us, are really just earthly things. They are not for heaven. They are just for now. And so they will pass away. Why? Verse 9. For we know in part now, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. When Jesus comes, when perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear. Will we get better gifts in heaven? Will the gift, the ability that you have to serve others be even better and more amazing in heaven? Is that the perfect? No. Gifts are for now. There is a better gift when the perfect comes. Verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Skype is better than a phone call. You can see them, isn't it? But it's still nothing like being there in person with someone. Now God knows us fully. We know him through his word and through the words spoken by others. But then we shall know him, even as we are fully known now. So the gifts will pass away. It's true in life, isn't it? That whatever gift you have when you are young, it may develop over time, but eventually, if God gives you enough years, it disappears Billy Graham is an awful preacher now, I take it. I've never heard him preaching in the last 20 or 30 years. I imagine he can't talk very well. He's in his 90s, I think. Gifts pass away, no matter what they are. But that's just a human lifespan thing. Gifts will come to an end, so don't get too hung up about what gift you have. It's passing it's temporary. It's like your car that you drive, the clothes that you wear. These things pass away. Is there something that lasts? Something that really matters, that is worth valuing? Yes, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Will faith remain when perfection comes? Do you think perhaps that you won't need to have faith in heaven because you'll be there and it'll be clear and sure? No, faith is trust. Will you trust God in heaven? 
Yes, you will trust him more in heaven. For you will be with him and know clearly that his trust worthy. Will you have hope in heaven or do you think that as soon as you've arrived all the realities have come true and it's now a static reality that you're just there? No. God is a creative God. Things will grow and develop, I take it. And hope will continue to be part of our experience. Will there be love in heaven? Will we know one another in heaven? Of course. For God is a relationship himself, Father, Son and Spirit. He created us for relationship. He will new create us for relationship. And if God is love, then love will remain. These three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why the greatest? Because love includes the other two. Verse 7. Always trusts, always hopes. And God himself is love. This truth is a remarkable comfort, I think. For if everything we know will pass away, it is so good to know that there is a reality that matters and that will last. You might think for a moment that your your car matters and you're sad that it is passing away. The clothes that you wear matter and you are sad that they will pass away. Even your phone, you might be sad that one day you will throw it in the recycling at the library, not the bin. These things pass away, but more importantly, parents, watching your children grow up passes away, doesn't it? They grow up. Grandparents, you feel the same. The family pet, these things pass and they really matter. What a comfort it is to know that the thing that matters, love, remains. And though the precise family growing up together experience, for example, comes to an end. What is underneath that? Love remains and will be our experience for eternity. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to grow disciples by serving You can have the greatest gifts and be the best in the world at them. But if you have not love, you are nothing. Don't be so foolish. Whatever gift it is, whatever way that you serve the body of Christ, what matters is not what gift it is or how well you do it but whether you have love. So if you have the the gift and the opportunity, and most of us do, of cleaning, cleaning at home, cleaning here, do it with love. Love is patient with those who make the mess. And love is not proud 
that it is the one cleaning up the mess. As love serves, it is kind and generous and does not boast of serving. And when love plays music at church, of course it seeks the common good. It is not how well it plays the instrument, but whether it does it with love. Dearly beloved, follow the way of love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are dearly beloved, that your love is the love. You are patient and kind with us and have demonstrated your love to us in the Lord Jesus. Help us to have our eyes, our hearts fixed upon him that we might know that we are loved, what love is, and that our love might grow more and more. Father, we pray that this week, as we read through these verses again and again, as we think through what would love do in each area of our lives, Father, we pray that you would grow in us your love that we might serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.